I went to I went to a school, a very prestigious school in Wellington, and it was uh, right into its traditions. Uh, it's a, it was an old school. Um, I looked it up. 152 years old now. It was a bit younger than when I went, um, and so it had a had a long history. And uh, we would have two assemblies every week, and at pretty much every assembly they would um, they would remind us about our uniforms. Um, and that we had to take pride in our uniform and, the, and uh, what we looked like out in the public sent a message to the people of Wellington about what our school was like. You know, what kind of school we were, if we were scruffy or smart, it sent, a, sent this message. So our black, leather, our black leather shoes had to be, had to be polished and shined and our, um, our grey shirts had to be tucked into our grey shorts and our black socks had to be pulled up to our, just below our knees. And then there's this really weird thing. And I, I, some of you might have had this as well. Um, we had to pull up your socks and you had to fold them over and you had to wear garters underneath your socks. Quite, quite weird thinking back on it. Garters. Um, yeah, and, uh, and so these garters, if you don't know what I'm talking about, because um, some of you um, might not. Anyway, they, um, they were not very, um, I don't know what the word is, saucy. Anyway, they were just like these, um, yeah, literally, <laughs> oh, you know, some garters can be, you know. Have you been to a wedding where, um, where there's that, oh, I'm just going to keep going there. <laughs> Well, maybe some of the boys did have saucy garters under their socks. It was a boys' school. Anyway, so they were like these, these elastic bands, and you had to wear them underneath your socks, and the whole point of garters was to hold your socks up, right? Um, and that was the point. And, uh, and I, was, I was a pretty good, I was a pretty mostly good boy, um, and I, I didn't really want to get in too much trouble, so I, I kept my socks pulled up and my shirt tucked in. Um, and every now and again, like at our school, um, the prefects, who were, uh, they were voted in, right? So they're the most popular boys um, in, in the school, in the sixth form anyway. Anyway, they'll do these spot checks. And the way it would work is they, the prefects would line up across the driveway first thing in the morning, and you'd walk up the driveway, and they'd yell, Garter check! And... And what you had to do is you're walking up there and you had to roll up the fold of your socks so they can see your garters. Yeah. Yeah, right. But stink, eh? And so you'd, you'd see them and, um, and even though my socks were pulled up, I'd see, the, I'd see the prefix and I'd have that, I don't know, that surge of adrenaline. Like, no. Even though I, uh, most of the time I probably did have uh, garters and did have my socks pulled up. But the, and then the worst part, I think, was when I finally got to um, seventh form Year 13, I think. Seventh form. And, the, and, the, and the, the prefects were my peers. Like They were guys I'd been to school with all this time. And now they have the authority to not only <laughs> make me expose my garters, <laughs> but, but they could give me a, ten, a detention if I didn't have a garter. That sucks. It actually still winds me up quite a bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's unfair. It was a silly rule, and like, what I mean, the rule was you've got to pull your socks up. Like, who cares how your socks stay up, right? It shouldn't matter if you've got these stupid garters. And I, I don't know. I always wonder, like, how many boys ended up with, you know, damaged calves, varicose veins, and so on because of these. <laughs> I actually, I actually, um, I actually got a bit distracted when I was working on this talk, and I looked up to see whether wearing garters around your ankles would cause varicose veins. <laughs> Apparently not. Don't worry about it. So. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I often get distracted. Eh? <laughs> anyway, um, 
so yeah, the other day, the other day, I was also getting distracted, and uh, yeah, it's, I was distracted. I was at work at my other work at Victoria University, and um, I was distracted. There was a guy, and I'm pretty sure that he's Mormon, and so I began looking at Mormons, and then for some reason, I got to thinking about Orthodox Jews, and so I was looking up about Orthodox Jews and what they, uh, what they, what they think, and um, and they have all these rules for keeping the Sabbath. Like Sabbath is the, the, the most important day of the week, the day of rest, seventh day, because God, God himself rested on the seventh day of creation. Uh, for Jews, um, it begins on Friday evening and it finishes on Saturday evening. Uh, for Christians, uh, we um, observe it on Sundays. But for the Orthodox Jews, there's a massive list of things that you can't, you can't do. And it all comes from a great idea, like having a rest. It's actually a bit more than a great idea. Like It's, um, it's in the top ten. Of commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien. That's cool. <laughs> Imagine that if you had a ET in town. Um, for, for six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that was all that is in them. But he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. That last line's quite cool too, like it's a a blessed day. Anyway, six days to work, one day to have a rest and do no work. Like quite a good rhythm, eh? Quite a good rhythm of work and work and rest, work and rest. And this day, Sabbath, it's blessed, consecrated by by the Lord. There's something really special about it. But this word work, it's a curly one, isn't it? What does it mean? What is work? And this is what Jewish rabbis have thought a lot about over the, over the past few thousand years. And um, I came across, so in my distraction the other day, I came across this website that lists the things that you can't do. Uh, the following is a brief summary of some of the Shabbat laws that you're most likely to encounter. Let's start with some basic activities from which we refrain on Shabbat, which is uh, Sabbath. Writing, erasing, and tearing. Uh, business transactions, uh, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners and alarm clocks, cooking, baking or kindling a fire, gardening and grass mowing, doing a laundry. So that's just the that's just the basic list. It's quite full on, eh? And I, I mean... I. I, I actually I don't want to be I don't want to mock this, hey, because like these are these are you know like really really genuine people, and my attention is not to um, sort of be condescending or to belittle them. But man, that is a that's a full-on set of things that you. I mean, I've broken every one of these. I think no, I didn't do the laundry or any or cooking or gardening or, <laughs> or mowing. Yeah, yeah, I only do that twice a year anyway. <laughs> It wasn't quite like this for the Jews of Jesus' day because they didn't have electricity or cars or telephones. Um, but in many ways, it was very similar. Very similar. Um, there were heaps of rules that they had to keep, and it, and it was a and it was a heavy load. It was a heavy load, uh, like a burden that they had to carry. And then Jesus turns up, and um, and a really significant thing that Jesus did, maybe the most significant thing that he did, was to reveal what God is really like. He revealed the heart of his father, the heart of love, of a good and caring God for people. And Jesus demonstrated, he demonstrated the heart of laws like, like this commandment to keep the Sabbath. 
And so we're looking at Matthew 11, 25 to 29 and 27. And it says, At that time Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This idea of revelation, the Son reveals the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. The only reason that, the only way that anyone can know the Father is through the Son, is through Jesus. And these are, these are stunning words, I think. They're such beautiful words. True knowledge of the Father comes through Jesus. So to discover God the Father, we've got to look at Jesus. Here's one, here's this verse that mum reminded me of from the Passion Translation, John 1, 17. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus the Anointed One unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son, who was, tre- who was cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. That's a really cool line, eh? Truth, truth wrapped in tender mercy. Jesus reveals God to us. He reveals truth wrapped in tender mercy. And, and so following on from that Matthew, in this Matthew passage, Jesus says something, Jesus says something to these worn-out people who are carrying heavy loads, trying to obey these uh, incredible, this incredible list of rules um, to stay in God's good books. And he says, he says this, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This would have been really refreshing, incredibly refreshing to his listeners. Jesus, uh, he's talking about his teaching. Tom Wright says this, he goes, "The The Pharisees have spoken of people being called to carry the yoke of the Torah. The Torah being um, the law in the Old Testament. The heavy burden of the Jewish law with all of its commandments. And Jesus offered a different yoke, which because it came from his mercy and his love was easy to bear. In another translation, the message, it's put like this. Are you tired? Oh man, yeah, because I stayed up too late last night. Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Oh man, that sounds really, really awesome. And I've been wrestling with this verse. I've been wrestling with it because sometimes it just feels hard. It feels tiring to follow follow Jesus. Easy and light, they're not the first things I think of. When I I think of following Jesus, more often it feels heavy, like a heavy burden. Sometimes it would be, sometimes it feels like it would just be so much easier if, if I could just give up on it all. If I could just sleep in on Sundays, wouldn't that be nice? Elena wouldn't let me anyway, it's a pipe dream. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have these awkward conversations with workmates about why I believe in God. I'm sure some of you have those kind of work conversations. 
Way before I met Tessa, um, <laughs> uh, way before I met Tessa and married her, I used to think how good it would be not to be a Christian because that would mean that I could sleep around. I could just meet girls and do what you do, what people do in movies. Uh, I could, I could get, I could get drunk. As I, I have often, I often had used to think about this a lot. Man, I could just sleep around. I could get drunk. I could get stoned, and all the things that my friends are doing, and all the things that in the movies look so awesome. And then, but then Jesus says, "Come with me and learn unforced rhythms of grace." And I believe the words of Jesus. And so what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Why the disconnect? I've been praying about it and thinking about it and I don't think I have all the answers. But I do have something I think that God's been showing me. And it's simply this. The burden feels heavy. If my soul is tied out, then maybe it's not God's burden. Maybe it's not his yoke that I've taken on my shoulders. There's things that are not from him. Uh, exaggerated sense of responsibility, obligations, expectations, fears about what other people think, concerns and worries, anxieties, stresses, possessions, addictions, lies, holding on to my stuff, my worldly things. And I, felt, I, feel, <laughs> I feel God challenging me on this. It's like he's asking the question, have you really taken on my yoke? Have you really taken it on? Because really taking on the yoke of Jesus means actually doing what he says. And the kinds of things that Jesus says are things like this. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Like this is just one verse, but that's, man, this is a big message in, in the Gospels and, uh, and also the, um, the letters of Paul and the rest of the New Testament. It's like you've got you to gotta let go of this life. And I think that's part of what I was talking about at the start. Like getting out of the boat means like giving up on stuff, letting go of stuff. Taking on the yoke of Jesus means taking off the old yoke. And then in the next story in Matthew, Jesus starts to uh, show us what this, what this looks like. <clears throat> It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and, and to eat it. When the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which, was, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So today, uh, Sabbath observant Orthodox Jews, they won't even turn on or off the lights on the Sabbath. 2,000 years ago, uh, different, different kind of restrictions look kind of different. And uh, Jesus' disciples, they get in trouble because they, um, they look at a bit of grass and they go, I want to eat that. I can't actually understand what looks tastier about 
a head of grain. But they get in trouble for plucking heads of grain and eating them. And, this, and the Pharisees go, no, you can't do that. That's working. It's not lawful. These Pharisees, they're like the prefects on the driveway of my school, going, let's see your garters, otherwise I'm going to give you a detention. They're just waiting there to catch, uh, catch, uh, catch me out, and the Pharisees are waiting there to catch Jesus and his disciples out. And this is the kind of the heavy yoke that the people of that day were under. You can't even, you can't even pluck a bit of grain and eat it. Um, Tessa, uh, she, she's a forager at heart. <laughs> so she really likes going um, like berry picking, especially at summertime, and it, it's quite cool up where we live. There's all of these um, blackberries, and um, and so we'll go for you know go wandering around a neighbourhood, and and she'll stop and and find all the yummiest um, berries for us, trying to avoid the the prickles and the wasps. Um, Elena loves it too, actually, and it's fun to real fun to do on Sunday afternoons. But if we were Jews. Uh, living at the time of Jesus, or maybe even observant Jews now, then we would get in trouble for doing something like that. It would be a big no-no. So you can see, like, observing these rules, man, it's a heavy burden, it's a weight. And so, Je- and so Jesus is kind of, like, talking into that, and he really, but then he, he doesn't just sort of respond to it, like, um, like, look at the heart of the law. He actually really ups the ante. And, and first of all, he's, like, comparing himself to King David, King David being this, yeah, Superman of, of Jewish history, essentially saying, if it's okay for King David, then it's okay for me. Uh, so he's pointing to his kingship, and then he also compares himself to the temple. I mean, the temple. Like the temple, oh, we've we got nothing to compare that to in New Zealand, right? But the temple was this place where people would go to meet with God, and, and Jesus is going, no, something greater than the temple is here. These are, these are fighting words, eh? Uh, Tom Wright says, this is fighting talk both for the self-appointed guardians of tradition, the Pharisees, and for any priests to whom this extraordinary claim might get back. When Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, these same things, his royal claim and his attitude to the temple are what get him what gets him arrested, tried, and killed. Jesus, mate, you gotta hold out, hold back a bit. And then and then we have another story of what uh, Jesus' easy yoke looks like. And it says, he left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said, suppose one of you has only one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you, will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as sound as the other. The Pharisees went out and conspired how to destroy him. So in these stories, there's nowhere where Jesus says, no, that the Sabbath is bad or that the Sabbath shouldn't be observed. Instead, he was revealing what God is really like, that God is merciful. Jesus unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. He shows us that God is good, that God loves people, that it's lawful to do good. I love this. Doing good is a higher law. It's a higher law than withholding good because of a blind obedience to the law. Like, we can't be robots, sorry. <laughs> In this story, like, who is carrying the heavy load? I think, it, I think it's the man with the withered hand. Like, he's probably had a pretty tough life. And then Jesus sees him. He, see, he sees this man with his withered hand and the, and the heavy yoke that this man is carrying. And he lifts it off him. And the law says, law says, no, you can't work, you can't cure somebody on the Sabbath. But that doesn't stop Jesus because he goes, no, the greater, 
the greater law, the higher law here is doing good. Uh, the, yeah, the, just the other day, I, I heard a really amazing story, a good uh, a testimony of um, the goodness of God, and so I've asked uh, Marie to come and come and share that story. That's a funny story, really. But last week, I asked out the back if they knew what testimony meant, and they said it's when someone gets up and talks for a really long time, and it's really boring. So I won't do that. So once um, Alan Scott was here, and oh, I should probably start. Uh, you, you might need to hold this. Um, so when I was little I broke my thumb and it broke the growth plate and so my thumb only grew to about there so uh, compared to the next one it was only halfway grown and my whole childhood my mum spent pulling my thumb to make it try try and grow because she thought she could she felt guilty anyway um, then we were here Alan Scott was talking and he was saying that he um yeah, he was just saying there was a grace on, on bones and to tell any bones to get in line, do what do what they should be doing. So Monique sat next to me and I go, well, I've got this strange thumb. And um, I <laughs> shut my eyes and she took my thumb and she went, in Jesus' name, grow. And it just went, whoop. And um, it's the same length. It's still a funny shape to remind me, but, <laughs> but it's now the same length. So there you go. Amazing. As, uh, it's so cool. Amazing, eh? Thanks, Marie. Yeah, I, I, I love, you know, it's so important for us to hear testimonies of, of what God does, of the things that God does. He heals, he heals, um, you know, thumbs. He restores, he restores us. Jesus, the, oh, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is utterly amazing. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never broke the Old Testament laws. He kept every one of the Ten Commandments, even the hard ones, like not murdering. And, uh, and he kept all of the other requirements outlined in the Torah and the Old Testament books of the law. Like Jesus kept them all. And so to find him guilty and to execute him, the Jewish leaders, the, the leaders of the day, they had to fabricate charges against him and they had to have this kangaroo court, which wasn't even up to scratch by their own standards. No one else in all of human history has ever led a completely sinless life, and yet Jesus did. He was strong enough to carry the heavy load. Sinless, Jesus went to the cross, and he carried the weight of humanity's sin on the cross. So Jesus is not like those prefects standing in the driveway of my school waiting to check my garters. He's not waiting there to catch us out when we're doing something wrong. Instead, he's standing on the driveway, and he's going, come on up. Come on up into my house. And all this time I haven't even talked about what a yoke actually is. This is a yoke. So a yoke, it's, it's this harness that's attached to two animals, in this case um, bullocks. I don't know, is there a difference between bullocks and bulls? Is there? Someone, anyway, bullocks. Wikipedia. So you got this. You got this yoke across their shoulders, and and you you, you know it's attached to their shoulders um, for them to be able to do some work, eh? To um, pull a cart or some farming equipment. You can tell I'm not a farmer. Typically, you got you got one you got one yoke across the sh- shoulders of, of two animals, so two two um, bulls. And it, and maybe it's a mixed metaphor, but this this yoke it reminds me of of the cross that Jesus carried. Uh, for our sins 
one yoke on the shoulders of Jesus and, and in his grace and in his mercy he throws it over our shoulders too and he's like come under it and Jesus did the work he paid the price and we all come under that yoke we come under his arms but to take on the yoke we have to throw off the old yoke and I think man I look at this picture and I go okay that's me on one side like what's on the other side is it is it the is it my old man? Is it my um, is it is it my my fears and or my possessions? Is it um, is it what other what I think other people are thinking of me? Um, is it um, is it my expectations of what God thinks or sort of like you know like like legalism or or whatever? Is it is it doing stuff in in trying to do good stuff but out of out of my own out of my own strength or imagine if imagine if we could picture it and we go there's me and there's Jesus and it's like like somehow Jesus is he's the one that's doing all the work that that yoke is is gonna be light because Jesus is so strong Jesus is so powerful that if we come under his yoke then man yeah I can see it that would be a heavy a heavy load I mean a the opposite of that. An easy an easy load, a light yod. Yod. Mate, are you like this today? Like tired, weary, carrying heavy burdens. Like Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me, take on my yoke. He wants to carry it. Jesus says, come to, come to me. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Like in that first passage we looked at, Jesus says he, reveal, he reveals it to the, to the children, to the infants. And so I was thinking about this. I was going, you know, my little girl, Elena, she, she understands that uh, if she wants to hold onto my hand, then she's got to let go of whatever she's got in her hand. So sometimes she does and sometimes she doesn't. She's got to let go. And so, like this morning, maybe, maybe we'll take a moment and just sort of like think about what are we yoked to? What are we attached to? What are the, what are the attachments? Who, who, are you, who, are you, who are we yoked to? Or what are we yoked to? Man. I, re- I feel like if we could get our heads around this, life would be unbelievably good. Feel like walking in that sort of freedom would be like oh, next level. Anyway, do you want to stand with me? I'll invite the Holy Spirit to come and come and do what what I can't do. Dear Lord, I believe that you're here in this place to bring to bring freedom, to set us free from things that we're carrying that we ought not to be carrying and you don't want us to carry Lord uh, like all of us have things that you that you're putting your finger on even even now and you're going that's what that's what I want and you're calling us Lord into into a life that is that is easy and light that it's uh, full of joy even though difficulties may come it's still a life of uh, of of lightness and joy and freedom and goodness in you Jesus so Holy Spirit, as we just take this 
take a few minutes just to wait on you, Lord, would you? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you bring your freedom, Holy Spirit? Yeah, we wait on you, Lord.